The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. I hope you all had a wonderful New Year's celebration. Our guest today is Wide Awake Jim. He was on for episodes 120, 121, 122, and then back in episode 80 and 88, we've been uh, dissecting the climate change hustle, central bank digital currency. We're going to get into carbon credits, going through all these documents that Jim has researched and analyzed and highlighted for us, having to do with the Bank for International Settlements, the United Nations, climate committees, International Monetary Fund, all this good stuff, ladies and gentlemen, to help you figure out where we are today with this slave state prison planet, where we're going to be in the future, hopefully start to map out over the next year where this is going in 2030. And this way you can plan your life, figure out how you're going to set up uh, a way to live one foot in and one foot out of this matrix prison planet system. So for New Year's Eve, folks, uh, the wife and I took... My mother-in-law, her mom, who's visiting from Poland, out to this little Thai restaurant we love in the center of town called Sumitra. So it was Willie G's first trip to a restaurant. He obviously didn't get to eat the food, folks. He's still only drinking boob juice. Uh, And then we went over to a friend of ours. They had a huge party at their house. Lots of people, lots of kids. We made it about 34 minutes, and then we got out of there. The whole house was full of drunk people. It smelled like pot. It was like going to a fraternity house. Once the pot broke out, we grabbed Willie G and took out, folks. And I don't want to turn him into a stoner at uh, seven weeks old. That's not a, not a great idea, ladies and gentlemen. So I know uh, our guest, Wide Awake Jim, I was just talking to him before uh, we popped on here. And he told me that he was watching the countdown from uh, the BBC. Him and his uh, significant other were getting ready to turn in at about 7.15 p.m. So I'm not there yet, folks. I stayed up till about 9.45. But last year, my wife and I were in Texas in South Padre Island riding horses around. Uh, at sunset and then we were out partying until like three o'clock in the morning those days are over i'm a father now i have to be responsible no more fun no more fun ladies and gentlemen now let's bring on our guest wide awake jim and have a little fun with the bank for international settlements and their umbrella of uh, prison planet matrix system organizations companies and ngos jim how are you doing sir i'm good happy new year to everybody Happy New Year! Yep, so you, we guys, had a, you guys, we had a calm New Year's <laughs> Eve takeout pizza, BBC at seven, and we did not go to bed at seven fifteen, but more like ten. <laughs> oh, ten! All right. Well, you were getting ready for bed at seven fifteen. Yeah. Did you Did you guys uh, go out to, to the end up going out to the farmers markets on Saturday? We did. Was anybody uh, out it there? It was light. Some of the some of the farmers weren't there. Obviously, you know they were with their families, but um, otherwise, there were a few there. Sure. 
Yeah, I stopped over at Farmer Carol's on Saturday morning to grab some uh, eggs, and then I'll check in and see what she's got left in her uh, fruit cellar. So if she, she has like these wine apples that you can store all the way through February. So I grabbed a few yeah. things. It, it was funny. Her gate was closed, but she always told me just hop the fence. So I came in and she came out of the house in her pajamas. I said, what is this? It's New Year's Eve uh, day. You're taking a break. She said, this is the day of the year that I always do my taxes. I like to get it over with because the spring uh, catches up to me quickly. And so I like to get this all done on the last day of the year. I said, wow, you are a responsible citizen. And that's what I love about you, Carol. Write that check See, to the folks, good old IRS. know your farmer. Dustin's allowed to hop the fence and walk <laughs> up to the house at any time. <laughs> <laughs> yep i walk i can hop the fence anytime i want she's got all these dogs on her property because she breeds australian shepherd hounds uh, mm -hmm. which are great dogs but you got to have a big yard it's kind of mean to lock those things up in your house and so all the dogs know me so i could literally break into her farm and steal squash over the winter if i wanted to I was but, uh, just going to say, that's the equivalent of uh, breaking into a grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wait in the checkout lane for 45 minutes just so I could steal the squash from her farm. <laughs> no, it's great. But no, but you're right. That is the thing about Know Your Farmer. And there's a couple other uh, places like our butcher now. The same thing. Like I walk in there, I'm friends with everybody. Uh, one time I needed something and I had called up. It was, I, I was trying to get a hold of organic chicken breasts and they were running out quickly. It was about a month ago back there in one of the other supply chain scares. And so I had called them and the guy goes, Oh, yeah, you know, we close it too, but I'm going to be in there uh, cutting up meats and stuff at like five o'clock. I think he was cutting up a deer for somebody because they butcher deer for hunters. And he's like, Oh, just mm -hmm. swing by, come in the back door. But see, this is the thing about knowing the butchers and knowing the farmers is you get special treatment. If you give them cash, they love you forever. Yep. Cash is still king. It is, definitely. All right. So where are we, Jim? We're at the uh, Bank for International Settlements. Um, this was the document that was the CBDCs and opportunity for the monetary system. And this is where you walked everyone through the use of cash in daily transactions is falling chart. And last show, you blew that out of the water and said, how the hell are they even tracking cash transactions? Because, <laughs> for instance, when I just went to, I'm probably going to get her in trouble now. When I just went to Carol's and bought eggs off her in cash, uh, short of Carol logging that into a POS system, I don't know what she does. Maybe she does have one. Who knows? But uh, if it doesn't get logged in, where does that get reported? Nobody knows about those transactions. Yeah, let's go retitle this document real quick. Scroll back up. They title it CBDCs colon an opportunity for the monetary system. I think we should title it CBDCs an opportunity for the elites to trap everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to trap, track, trace, and limit you from building wealth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what this is all about. All right, so we're down here. We're just a few pages into this. Um, and I think this is right around where we left off here was underneath those charts, correct? It is. Yep. Mm -hmm. So right. basically what the BIS is saying now, I've highlighted this. It says by now it is clear that cryptocurrencies are speculative assets rather than money. 
And that's an important statement. Now, this document came out before the implosion of FTX. <laughs> but, you know, we've somewhat speculated uh, on previous shows that cryptocurrencies were nothing more than an indoctrination tool for, for digital, quote unquote, money, digital currency, things of that nature to prep the, the populace, uh, socially engineer the populace for CBDCs. And uh, here's the BIS telling us that, yeah, the other cryptocurrencies are not money. They're speculative assets. <laughs> and in many cases are used to facilitate money laundering, ransomware attacks, and other financial crimes. Bitcoin in particular has few redeeming public interest attributes when also considering its wasteful energy footprint. So they're pointing at Bitcoin saying you use way too much energy even though CBDCs use way more than Bitcoin. Well, it's it's funny that you bring that up in there too, because in one of the panel discussions that I reviewed, the head of the Bank of France, uh, Francois something was his name, and he was also chairman or managing director of IMF, I think. He actually mm -hmm. said, and this guy was older, he's been in the game for probably four decades and he was saying right on there in the show that cbdc also will not be considered a uh an investment it'll only be considered a form of payment and he was talking also about cryptos being uh basically the speculative um and assets it was the same type of thing he was talking about but then he, he admitted like cbdc no 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 it's just but but it's funny because when you look at the six forms traditional forms of investment like sometimes the banks actually include cash where like investors won't include cash as an actual mm -hmm. investment um so i don't know what the central bank or the world bank or the bis's stance is on that do you know if they consider the world currency system and fiat like paper cash as an investment or they don't well i, I think they do it's 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 an asset that banks can hold uh just it, but it gives liquidity and it's quote unquote safety you know i mean yeah currencies can be, be manipulated but you know the interesting thing that guy, what he just said is is in this BIS document, which, by the way, is the annual economic report from 2021. <laughs> so what people are going to realize when we're done going through all these documents, they're going to be able to point out these phrases and, and policies that you see from different governments and different pol political bodies coming out and spewing into the public really were not originated in the political realm they were originated from these banksters or and or the un mm -hmm. all right um do you want me to just keep flipping down through this yeah just keep going there's not a whole lot i, I don't think that i've highlighted in this document so uh, did you here's a chart yep current forms of digital payments remain expensive for merchants, cash is still the least expensive payment option. This is pretty simple, folks. You know, when you pay in cash at a farmer or some store, the merchant, the owner of the store, does not have a fee associated with your payment. When you use a debit card, there's a 1% to 1.5% fee that the owner of the store has to pay on top of the you know if you so if you bought a hundred dollars worth of goods 
then that merchant is really only getting 99 to 90 to 98.5 you know, dollars. The other one, one and a half goes to the bank, the debit card bank. When you pay with a credit card, there is a fee of three and a half to five percent going to the big banks. You know, if you use PayPal, there's a cost for PayPal and all these other forms of payment. Cash doesn't have any of those fees. Yeah, I'm looking at this chart here. So it's got this green, uh, which is the merchant service costs. Mm -hmm. Why are those so big on there? You see, um, we'd have to scroll. Well, so it's looking at a. This is euro, not dollars. Yeah. So this this chart is for a twenty five five dollar transaction, and it reflects in which the merchants were asked to uh, to look at the fixed or variable cost for accepting a credit card payment. Yeah. So you've got the fixed cost, which is the fee, but then you also have variable costs, things like you have to have the equipment. To, to take that digital that that credit card also so I, I assume that's factored into the cost yeah no i mean it's crazy so you're looking at cat there's three columns cash debit cards and credit cards and then it mm -hmm. has all the different expenses here front office time outsource costs other costs back office labor merchant service costs well on debit cards it is uh merchant service costs is about half of the total costs and when you're looking at credit cards it's about two-thirds of the actual total yeah. cost <laughs> I mean, yeah you, not only do you have to have that equipment but, but i believe there's also a monthly fee for the equipment whether you do one transaction with a credit card or five thousand yeah yeah definitely there's all types of fees in there yep uh, with cash you just need an old school register uh, or a pocket. Some of them just use their pocket at the farmer's market. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had that happen. I think we talked about it on one of the shows. I was at a deli in uh, in Dallas, Texas. Um, locally owned. Well, I, I thought it was locally owned, but I wasn't sure. And when I went to pay with cash, all I had was 100 So I whipped out 100 and the and the lady at the register was like, I don't think I have change for that. And the, the other guy behind the counter over, you know, I think he was making a sandwich or something. He walks over, he pulls out his wallet, <laughs> he gives me five twenties and takes my hundred. Yeah. And I go, you must be a local joint. He said, yep, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. We will not turn away your money, sir. No. All right. So did you want um, to uh, read this or skip? Yeah, I'll read this. So uh, let me see. It's just talking about the high cost of some digital payments. You know, in many countries, the large share of adults still have no access to digital payment options. Even in advanced economies, some users lack payment cards and smartphones to make digital payments, participate in e-commerce, and receive transfers such as government-to-person payments. Uh, I guess that's welfare. I'm not sure. Um, for instance, in the United States, over 5% of households were unbanked in 2019. And 14% of adults did not use a payment card in 2017. In France, in 2017, 13% of adults do not own a mobile phone. So this is interesting because this we're going to go through this. I think we already did on one document. In the U.S., the 5% of the households were unbanked. There was a whole study on this. <laughs> and they talk about the 1.5% that 
are unbanked, you know, that need because of they, they're not included or it's not inclusive or inequality, all this crap. In reality, 75% of that 5% don't want a bank account. That's what oh, the yeah. showed. Yeah, they, they actually say the fees are too high. I don't trust the bank. And then there was yeah. like a, thir a third one. Like, I don't want anything to do with them. Um, and, and then there yeah, are and some there cases of people that don't make enough that, money to they, bank. They so. didn't make enough money, right. Yeah. Right. And so, like, I mean, and it's funny when you look at this. So the answer to the problem of people not owning phones uh, or not being able to make digital payments is more technology that involves more digital payments, phones, and then microchips in your hand. So that makes a lot of yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. The way that the context, the way they put it in this document is that, uh, you know, this is inequality. We have to, you know, we have to capture everybody. Yeah. Corral everybody is what they're talking right. about. <laughs> so this is really interesting. So this is a, a, a section called Digital Money as a Central Bank Public Good. The foundation of the monetary system is trust in the currency. <laughs> the whole banking system as we know it, and forget about CBDC, but the original banking system is all based on trust. That fractional reserve, you know, where they keep 10% of your money and they loan out the rest, it's all based on trust us. When you put $1,000 into the bank, it is you are an unsecured creditor of that bank. It's all about trust us. We'll keep your money safe. It'll be here when you need it. Just trust us. Yeah, and that's what they were pushing on the World Economic Forum panel was the big, uh, the central bankers bring trust and therefore stability to the system. And then the commercial banks bring the innovation and the technology. That was like a running theme that they had of why they needed the partnership between the central mm -hmm. bankers, uh, which they call themselves the public side, and then the private sector mm -hmm. side. They're like, we bring the trust, we bring the stability, and you bring the innovation and the technology. Yeah, it, it, so for, for as we go through all this stuff, it becomes pretty obvious. We have to act like the one Seinfeld episode where George Costanza he stands and decides, you know, everything in his life never works out. So he's just going to start doing the opposite of what he would normally do. <laughs> Whatever they tell us that, that they, they, that we need to do, we need to do the opposite. Definitely. I mean, so there it says it right here. You have it highlighted. Central banks are accountable public institutions. That's what they kept saying. We're the public side, the commercial banks, yeah. are the private side. Yeah. Hover over my comment next to that, that statement private <laughs> yeah they're so not true. they're not public institutions they're private institutions owned by <laughs> private banks exactly that's the funny part i was laughing during the whole panel discussion because they love to call themselves the public side you know yeah but they're owned by private banks okay. yeah all right so it continues it says compared with wholesale cbdc's a more far-reaching innovation is the introduction of retail cbdc's uh, retail CBDCs modify the conventional two-tier monetary system in that they make central bank digital money available to the general public, just as cash is available to the general public as a direct claim on the central bank. They're equivalent. They're, they're trying to, again, the context here is, oh, CBDCs is the same as cash. No, it's not. One's controllable. One's programmable. One's expirable. One's deletable. The other's not. 
Unbelievable. You know, like Sesame Street. One thing's one thing's not like the others. Yeah. No. Well. Well. I'm glad you're going through this because, and I'm glad we did the panel discussions here during the break when you were on uh, episode 88. The break all the way to 121 because or 120 because. Um, now I see where all the central bankers get their talking points from. This this is all what they recite live on stage. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Where so I go back. I always say, who runs the world? It's these guys right here, the BIS banksters. Mm-hmm. So they go on to say the other approach is built on verifying users' identity, uh, account-based access, and would be rooted in digital identity. In a digital identity scheme, there's that word again, scheme. It is a scheme, folks. <laughs> I love it when they call themselves out. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty, I, I wonder when the day is going to come when it says scam and says grift. Like It's like it's rooted in a digital identity grift. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's other documents that constantly use this word scheme. It's really funny. Oh, yeah. Um, this. The second approach is more compatible with the monitoring of illicit activity in a payment system and would not rule out preserving privacy. Personal transaction data could be shielded from commercial parties and even from public authorities by appropriately designing the payment authentication process. These issues are intimately tied to broader policy debates on data governance and privacy, which we return to in a later section. What they're talking about here is they've done all these, these uh, tests and and uh, uh, going talking about like what they have to do to make digital CBDCs actually work in the real world. Obviously, data protection is something great because huge because they, in their mind they have to sell us that it is totally private, it is totally safe. Otherwise, nobody would do it. In reality, it's it's not private, but that's not what they're telling us no no and then when they sit on the stage they talk about that as well that's one of the talking points privacy yep but then you hear um bo lee what's he managing director of the bis uh or uh, okay deputy managing director i think of imf he straight up says after they talk for 30 minutes about privacy and then he straight up says that they're tracking everything down to the last cup of coffee, where you bought it, what kind of coffee, you know, how hot it was. I mean, literally all this data and that they're going to package the data and give it to the so-called private sector commercial banks and the regulated non-banks. And that is their payoff, their bribe to let them use, let the central bankers use their technology and then this way, they can run real-time credit scores on you and offer you products and loans in real time while you're, like, standing right in the grocery store, deciding if they're going to extend you credit to buy a head of lettuce. Uh, and so, they, like, they talk about all the privacy, and then at the same time, they're talking about how they're running a real-time credit score on you, and they're giving all this data away on you to the so-called private side of this uh, equation. It, it, like, it's they're the such opposite. hypocrites. It's yeah. the opposite. You know what is private? Cash. They tell you it's private because they tell you we can't. We don't know what you paid, what you bought, where you spent it, where it went. <laughs> That's private, folks. Yeah. How could we decide that Jim is responsible with his money unless we can track every payment? Well, we can't do that with cash because we don't know what you, Jim. You bought six dollar dozen of organic eggs that's not responsible you can buy crappy eggs over at this place for three dollars 
Yeah, and you know what else is not on cash? My name, my address, my social security number, my phone number, my email address. That's not associated with the hundred dollar bill at all. Exactly. So when you're spending it, it's not adding up to your digital footprint file. <laughs> right. That's this is this is just laying out a diagram of uh, wholesale versus retail CBDC. Okay, yeah, we went through that uh, on here. So yeah. this using an application programming interface API for a transaction, and then these charts are in some of the stuff I pulled up as well. They're they're just diagrams showing the flow mm-hmm. of the money and that kind of stuff through these different mm-hmm. systems. But it's all very this easy, folks. That's what they tell you. It's yes. a very easy system. You only have to go through 25,000 pages in documents and white papers to understand it. But it's very simple. <laughs> right. So this is a table that's titled Comparison of Cash, Retailed, FPS, Retail CBDC, and as Payment Methods. And I highlighted something in the middle of the table because the 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 it's got several different things in t- where it compares the three, like safety as a settlement asset, finality of the retail payment. And then it's got one, a category called identification required for access. So for retail FPS, it just says yes. For retail CBDC, and FPS stands for financial payment system. Um, For retail CBDC, it says design choice, token or account based. For cash, it says none. Except for high value payments in many jurisdictions, because sometimes you, like cash transactions are limited in certain countries. Like you can't you can't buy, pay cash for a car, you know, because you can't spend more than like twenty grand or something. Yeah, the and next I mean, and category similar, is, similar stuff here. Like if you try to transact in more than it used to be ten thousand. Mike Moore says it's really three thousand. That that's at least getting reported directly over to the FBI and IRS. Sure, but that's that's at a bank. I'm not sure if you go buy like to buy a car and you ACH or wire the car the uh, the dealer money. The dealer's not reporting that. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know I, I, about I, I, the big dealers, but, but but I know even in real estate because I've had a conversation with Maria Albanese about this because she had to start dealing with it and the the sort of the end so years. For cash buyers of homes, they have to report it. Well, like you can't buy a home with a bag of cash. That's illegal, she said. They changed that. Oh, you got to wire the money. Yeah, yeah. yeah they changed that money. after nine eleven. And then let's say, let's just say, Jim, that you can, you have been totally clean. You paid taxes on every dollar you made, right? But every mm-hmm. year at the end of the year, for whatever reason, you take out I don't twenty five thousand dollars in cash and you put it in your safe at home. Then ten years later, you're gonna go. You want to buy a piece of land. In uh, I don't know Tennessee, you find ten acres. Somebody's selling it for two fifty. You go, I want that. And you go take all the cash out of your safe. Go to put it in the bank so you could do the wire. Maria said that's actually, I believe it's illegal, uh, and all that money would then have to be sourced. You'd have to go back and show records for it. Make it's the, not like illegal, every- but yeah, you'd have to source it. Now, look, look, paying cash is nice, but if if I'm going to buy a new truck, I'll wire the money. To me, that's still paying cash. Yeah, it's coming from my bank account, but I'll just wire the money, not actually, you know, take a suitcase full of hundreds down to the dealership. No, but it'd be anyways. Cool there's another could. category. No, 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 scroll back up. There's another category on that table. Uh, 
anonymity and confidentiality among users. So for financial payment systems, there's no anonymity. In other words, no privacy. But confidentiality is protected by system design, bank secrecy, and data protection laws. Yeah, how many times have all that, has all that crap been hacked? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the CBDC, it's, again, design choice token or account-based, but, again, it, your, your data is out there. For cash, under that c- category of anonymity and confidentiality for users, it's high. <laughs> they can't have it's that. It's private, folks. folks. Yeah. Yeah, it's higher than uh, Hunter Biden, you know? Yep. At a more basic level, CBDCs could provide a tangible link between the general public and the central bank in the same way that cash does as a salient marker of the trust in sound money itself. (laughs) This might Uh, be seen as part of the social contract. Jesus. Uh, Between the central bank and the public. Between the central bank and the public. There's a social contract. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I didn't sign uh, a contract. I never signed a contract, but that's just me. I thought you did, and the people in the audience signed one. Yeah. Indeed, there are good arguments against a one-tier system fully operated by the central bank, i.e. a direct CBDC. What they're referring to there is that the central banks will interact directly with the public versus versus having a two-tier system like we have now with commercial banks in between. And I've got a comment on that statement. I, don't, I can't remember the comment if you just hover over the yellow box. Oh. Scroll back up. Oh, yes. Loss of sovereignty. Right. So when the central banks get CBDC in place legally, and John Titus has has talked about this, so has, um, uh, oh, what's his name? It's skipping my mind. The guy that did the Princess of the End, um, Richard Werner. Mm -hmm. That is a loss of of sovereignty. The bankers will be in complete control. Of, of whatever country. Yeah, and they, they talk about that on the panel discussions as well. Uh, whether or not... See, I was telling you, Jim, the and, and the audience has seen this, I had brought up the tension between Francois, the head of the Bank of France, and then it was um, Axel, who was representing the so-called private banks. He was the chairman of Credit Suisse, and you could see the tension between the two because that's what they were talking about. And you could see in this guy Axel's demeanor and the tone of his voice that the so-called private sector guys, the commercial banks, they see the writing on the wall that uh, they're eventually going to be pushed out of the equation. So if they allow for a two-tier or multi-tier system right now, where the private sector guys control the technically the bank accounts and they control the infrastructure that this new CBDC blockchain will sit on top of, they know the end goal of the central banks is to be the only middleman between me and Jim. So if I wire Jim 100 bucks or I'm going to buy something from him for $100, the central bank wants to be the clearinghouse in the middle and the only one in the middle. And the commercial bank guys can see that coming. They're not stupid. They obviously know that is the dream of the central banks. 